one of the things that I always think about is, you know, we are fortunate, human beings living in this time and space, where all the easy decisions were made a very long time ago. We are the complex thinkers, the solution leaders that get to work on tough issues. And the very fact that health, equity, access, sustainability, resilience could be available to us all as we build our environments is not a difficult notion. It's harder to deploy, and that's what we're here for. So I'm really excited to be here um, with two very wonderful people. Um, I'm thinking about Mayor Carter and the challenge of integrating everything in order to have good outcomes. And want to start with Natalie as she introduces herself, but weave in there. Why are you here? <laughs> sure. Um, good afternoon. My name is Natalie Self. I am from St. Louis, and I do apologize in advance for what's going to happen tonight. Um, so for context, your mayor and mine are very good friends and were together last week at the African American Mayor's Convention. And so this is kind of a long, long standing back and forth. Um, but I'm here because I actually am focused on not the building from the ground up, but the fixing of when we don't think intentionally about equity the first time around. In the same way that um, St. Paul has been in the news recently, in 2015, the world got to know Ferguson, Missouri, which is not far from where I live and work and where I spent time on the ground. And I think about, in both of those situations, King's quote that says, um, rioting is the language of the unheard. And my, one of my themes in life is loving radical candor. Um, and we have 32 minutes, so you're gonna get a lot of it. Um, and my loving radical candor is when you talk to folks who are on the ground in Ferguson, or when you talk to the folks that were on the ground here in St. Paul, they're not rioting because they don't have LED light bulbs in their house. They're rioting because they have lead pipes. And so what I'm really interested um, is, you know, Cortex Innovation Community, is, has been around for 20 years. The first 10 years, we were assembling parcels and fixing up brownfields. Um, the second 10 years, we were building buildings, and it was an incredible success based on who you talk to. According to the Global Institute on Innovation Districts, our 200 acres that have spawned you know, 425 companies and 6,000 new employees and $42 million in net new taxes to St. Louis is a global model. And at the same time, we have lots of members of our community who told us that things were not okay and incidentally would continue to tell us that things are not okay. And so for the last month or nine months, I've been in my role, it's new to the organization, and all of those you know, buzzwords, equitable economic impact, basically stands for how do we repair harm that we have done the communities around us and how do we bet on ourselves because for the last decade we've been pulling from Boston we've been pulling from San Francisco but we quite literally never talked to our neighbors so that's why I'm here tonight love that and I'm glad you're here even though tomorrow you'll have a different attitude about it but thank you Natalie what about this Minnesota nice thing it's that's a whole nother conversation and a yeah. different panel. 
<laughs> for well, me. Well, hold on, yeah, passive aggressive <laughs> reasons. That, okay, great. Well, kind of, okay. So I love the fact that you're focusing on fixing things that did not go right the first time and really trying to get ahead of that. Um, when I think about you, Mani, and the opportunities that are before us, your career, stellar, in terms of being in this industry for a long time and now having an opportunity to build from scratch. Um, pulling back, so I'm not giving your answer. Why are you here and what do you do? Well, thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Natalie, for being here today. Um, I work for the St. Paul Port Authority. Um, we're about three blocks away here and we've been around for 90 some years. Uh, originally created to manage river commerce. Uh, in the 60s, we were given additional authority to move inland and do urban redevelopment. And in the 60s, if you can imagine uh, urban renewal sweeping the nation, uh, we probably did some not great things in the 60s. I know we did. Uh, the floodplains down the west side flats were cleared uh, due to blight, due to flood risk. Uh, and there are still Latino communities, grandmothers and grandfathers uh, that remember losing their homes uh, to the Port Authority, frankly. Um, in the 90s, we really came into the modern brownfield era uh, and you know, 50 deals over 25 years. Uh, we've created 21 business centers with over 550 companies and 25,000 jobs. Um, when I say we've created, we've prepared the land, we've prepared the infrastructure, we've created the environment for private investment. Um, so I'm here because really I came to this work through the lens of environmental justice. Um, a concept in the late 90s that uh, I came to know at the university uh, because we were going to bury uh, nuclear waste out at Yucca Mountain mm. on indigenous lands. And that didn't seem like a very great or very fair idea to me at the time. Uh, and here I am, a few de couple decades later, uh, cleaning up brownfields. We're the buyer of last resort, uh, generally uh, getting the stuff that the marketplace can't pencil out to get it ready for investment. Uh, we try to do so with an eye towards uh, equitable development, regenerative development, sustainable development. Um, and we've gotten it right sometimes, we've gotten it wrong sometimes. Um, the last 10 years uh, of my career, I've managed the redevelopment of 3M's World Headquarter Campus on the east side of St. Paul. Uh, we're done, we're out of land. Uh, that's a good thing as an economic developer, but we're also responsible for providing land inventory to the marketplace. Um, we told the neighborhood in 2009, 2010, we would bring a thousand largely living wage uh, jobs with low barriers to entry back to the east side. We did. Um, and now one of the sites Mayor Carter referenced is a 112 acre contaminated golf course site on the east side of St. Paul, uh, formerly known as Hillcrest, now known as the Heights, uh, where we again uh, intend to deliver a thousand living wage jobs with low barriers to entry, really across the career spectrum. Um, uh, as well as a thousand housing units. And we do have a plan to deliver 112 acres at the administration's request on a net zero basis uh, within lead for communities. We're in pre-certification pre within lead for communities at the platinum level. And uh, I think that's why I'm here today. Very good, I like that. And I believe in participation. I'm the granddaughter of a church planner, which is probably why I wanna sing, although I would sound a little more like Billie Holiday. <laughs> but for participation, as you guys sit there, I would like you to think about why you're here too. So these conversations have been going on for a long time. And these are matters that we are obviously concerned about and feel are important. But as I drill down with our two panelists, I want us to think about how we move from conversation to action, realizing that we are all doing things every day. 
um, but the challenges still exist. And one question that I have for you both um, just is, in your experience, and you both have kind of referenced this, what are some key things that you have learned that may not contribute to the outcomes that we desire? And I am going to start with you, Monty. Um, I prepared a new slide for the statewide uh, Minnesota DEED, Department of Employment and Economic Development Conference, a couple weeks ago. And it was trying to graphically depict uh, this concept of nimbyism wrapped in environmentalism to shroud the low-key racism. And by low-key, I mean often outright racism um, when it comes to land use. Um, as you can imagine, putting 112 acres of what people thought was green, open public space when in actuality it was a private country club, uh, putting that back into production uh, with buildings and land and infrastructure next to an existing single-family neighborhood, um, you're going to have some folks that that rubs the wrong way. Um, and you know, for decades in St. Paul, as I imagine many communities, uh, probably in your communities throughout the country, um, we have upzoned and outzoned light industrial land uh, to the tune of hundreds of acres. Um, I picked up a document the other day, 1999, Phelan Corridor Initiative document over on the east side of St. Paul. From 1980 to 1996, the east side of St. Paul lost a third of its industrial tax base. So uh, Ham's Brewing, Whirlpool Manufacturing, Cannon Conveyor, Globe Shingle Factory was the first one I cleaned up over there. Um, and so we know that the, this constant erosion of our industrial and our world, mostly light industrial tax base, um, really takes away from the economic ecosystem that is uh, more fair and equitable as we strive for densification and walkability and all the livability components that many of us in this industry are like, wow, that's great. You know, talk to a city planner. We got 300 foot blocks. That's great. Well, I need 12 acres for a, a, a manufacturing position. Just, you know, something with real jobs for people that are attainable and they can raise a family on. Um, and they don't need a college degree. Well, we, we don't need those jobs here. Um, that, they, those can go somewhere else. We want condos and coffee shops. Um, so I think we've, we've learned uh, lessons of the past about the inequitable land use and the distribution of land use. And that's what we're trying to fix at the Heights. I think that's really good because what I hear you saying is job creation is important in this equation and who those jobs are for. Very good. I'm the social worker on the panel, not like therapy, although everyone should get a therapist. It's amazing. Um, just saying. Um, and so I'm really interested in process. And oftentimes I've been on multiple sides of this. I've been a member of a community that has had development happen at them. And I've been a nonprofit developer that's like, no, this is going to be great. This is going to be so great for you. Um, and really thinking about what are the assumed conversations or things that we're thinking as we engage with community. And so one of our prep questions was, you know, let's talk about community engagement. And because I don't have a filter, um, I immediately said, I don't really care about community engagement. I want to talk about community ownership. But that's maybe a different panel, too. Um, there's a really big difference between engaging with folks and engaging at folks. And we need to learn to listen to understand 
we need to remember that everything happens at the speed of trust. We need to remember that we all have multiple ways of knowing and being. And so I am thrilled that my sister, who is an engineer, can do math, and God bless her. And my sister is not the person that I'm going to send to the community meeting because um, she's going to get yelled at and not know what to do, right? And so I really want us to think about process, and I want all of us to think about process. And so when we think about diversified project teams, it can't be just like the architect, the landscape architect, and the interior design architect, right? Like, I actually don't know if those are all jobs, but um, it needs to be, you know, and more than like just the engineer, um, it, it really needs to be a person-centered approach. And we all really need to practice those skills with each other because incidentally, if we don't, our industries also are not going to diversify. And if our industries don't diversify, we definitely have no chance at achieving equity. So are you suggesting that we are talking about collaboration in the process? Collaboration, just actual real care for humans, which I, I assume good intention, right? I assume good intent and we're busy and we have things to do and we're interested in like the latest model and you know, but, but if we build buildings without thinking about the humans in them or around them, like really we're just kind of building monuments to our ability to do math, um, which is great again, right? I just got back from DC. I'm sure there's lots of like women and people of color and like queer folks that need a monument. Um, but really in all of our work, being intentional about process, being intentional about putting our end users first, and being intentional and being intentional about collaboration, and I would actually say co-conspiracy. <laughs> like that word. Very good, very good. So we're gonna delve into that a little further in the next question, but back to all of you. What have you learned? and how is it shaping what you do next? Do you keep those lessons in front of you? Do you bring them to each project? Are they sitting on your desk, your desktop? And how are you integrating that learning into the next that we're all trying to create? So I wanna talk a little bit with um, Natalie and uh, Monty about you know, what can we achieve based on those learnings? So I'm not gonna let you throw away that you don't like community engagement because that is part of the process. We're all taught, you're supposed to talk to community. So if it's not community engagement, it's ownership, what does that look like? And can you put it in the context of a project or a process um, and explain to us what that really means and how is it really different? Sure. I mean, I asked you what you wanted, yeah. whether or not you were gonna get four steps or five. Yeah. I mean, isn't that enough? Right. Isn't that enough? We're doing this for you. Um, in the context of a project, I'll tell you that's happening in, in St. Louis. It's actually not in the Cortex District, but it's close by and has a bearing on our work. There is a parking lot right now that is on a prime you know, street um, that's right by all the new you know, condos and coffee. And look, I love Starbucks. I am not, I am not anti-condos and coffee. I wore a t-shirt in the airport today that said local, local only and then drank Starbucks. So like, we're all a little bit complicated, right? I just, just say. Um, and so 
it's this, you know, architectural marvel and the grandson of the person who designed the world famous um, hotel that was across the street that was built for the 1904 World's Fair, which we can have a conversation about that in equity. Um, they're doing it and so they understand the community and isn't this so great? And so I went to the community meeting that happened in the ballroom, right? Um, and I walked in and the first thing that triggered me was it was a podium and a PowerPoint and 10 chairs and then like 20 rows of chairs in front of them, right? Who's been to these meetings? You've come on, thank you, right? Like Parks and Rec is basically, the entire season is basically based off of this concept. Yeah. And so here's what's true. What is, what is true about that is that they already had their plans 90% baked and gave the audience kind of a couple of things that they could make decisions on. They um, knew the things that they were already gonna get pushed back on, and so they had the answer for them. And then at the end of the day, they wrote the report about the feedback and put it on the website, and we all kind of moved on, right? And I did that. Like that, in 2012, I felt like that was participatory design. And so when I say ownership, I mean, we could quite literally talk about land banks land ownership, right? How do we give members of communities where people are getting displaced because of the rising cost of their houses, actual ownership of a land, so when the land parcel is purchased, they have equity, right? They have an asset. But really, what we're going through at Cortex now is a process of trying to understand how do we meet people in their own community without being intrusive, saying, you know, I apologize, we literally haven't talked to you for 20 years. Do you wanna come? We're gonna make these four decisions about our use of tax increment financing and sit around, not like in lines, right? Around a table whereby everyone really feels like they have equal voice in that process. And it's complicated and it's hard and it requires us to be able to explain TIF in a way that makes sense to anyone. But again, that's really about the process. And that's the difference between like doing community engagement towards people and really thinking about ownership, whether it's literally of a land or co-ownership of a process. And I think it's really important for co-ownership of the process because incidentally, community members who feel like they own their community like will not destroy them, right? And I also just want to treat people like human beings, but I believe that there's a better return over the long term if our neighbors are having full agency in what's happening to them. Thank you, Heather. Um, yet this evening, I should probably make it to the very end of what must be the 15th meeting of an urban design work group um, so master land use planning is done, should be approved by the city council for this 112 acre site here, about two weeks, um, fingers crossed. Uh, and since January, uh, we've had a sustainability work group and an urban design work group meeting. Um, the sustainability stuff, given that we're in lead for communities uh, pre-certification, pretty well baked, uh, and we were very upfront as we were recruiting members for this work group that is more of an advisory peer review sort of exercise. Uh, there's been two years of 
given that's the Port Authority's mission is to advance sustainable development. We're kind of down that path. The urban design component, uh, quite different. We intentionally called that a co-creation exercise because when we do land development, we create covenants, uh, protect, covenants of restriction and protection um, and have for decades. Uh, aesthetics, uh, parking lot light, bulb ballast color, temperature, roof ballast color, da 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 da. Um, but now we've worked more uh, sustainable design, sustainable development, workforce development items into these covenants. For s 50 years, these, we've done these covenants and usually it's a project manager like myself and a design team who says, here's the covenants. Brings it to the board, stamp, we're done. Um, Beacon Bluff, the 3M headquarters project I referenced, was the first time in the history, 90 year history of the Port Authority, we worked with community to write the legal requirements for everything from where the garbage cans are gonna be, uh, to how these sites function, where the access is, how much parking, well above and beyond what's allowed or not allowed by a zoning code. Um, so we're six months in to working through these next round of covenants. Um, and it takes intention, uh, it takes time, it takes education. These are not designers. Uh, we've got a couple of folks as we've been kind of shredding in this small group, um, which we meet at a bar, restaurant, karaoke, uh, meeting space called Unison over on the east side of St. Paul, uh, uh, owned by a Hmong family, uh, largely Hmong establishment. Uh, we have a very large Hmong cultural community here in St. Paul. Um, Is there icebreaker karaoke? Like was that literally the, you were like the, the karaoke starts banging at about seven o'clock uh, <laughs> while we're still meeting. And yeah. many of these meeting rooms don't have doors. Yeah, so. right. And afterwards we usually are invited up for line dancing. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're out there. Um, but uh, they literally will contribute to and document and we will write into legal covenants that run with the land um, based on how they want this site to function and look and feel and operate. Um, so that's one example of how we've uh, tried to take a different approach than we have historically. Can I add something that I've been kind of wrestling with? Um, so U.S. Bank, large headquarters here um, in, in the Twin Cities recently announced a large community benefits agreement. And I was an English major at Hamlin University, so uh, I apologize in advance for the, like the complexity, unnecessary complexity of this. I'm really kind of sitting with the idea of community benefit agreements. I think many people can agree that the content of them are important, right? So like framing it as a CBA, is that a way for us to just pat ourselves on the back? Or should we just should we just do it because like that's the right thing to do? So, I don't know. What are your, what are your me, thoughts? Um, I don't mean to hijack the panel, no, but no, it's no, really no. been bothering just, me. This is I was hoping we would get here. Um, so, uh, many of you in the audience, if you're from the Twin Cities, you may know of a documentary called Jim Crow of the North, and a project out of the U of M called the Mapping Prejudice Project, um, where they have unearthed and documented thousands upon thousands of racial covenants recorded against properties in Minneapolis and St. Paul that forbade you legally at the county recorder's office from selling your property to a person of color or a Jewish person, et cetera, et cetera. Just terrible things written in black and white enshrined in our mm -hmm. county property system. Um, as a part of a USGBC event, a fireside chat mid-COVID time, uh, I was able to interview and have a fireside chat with the director, Daniel Bergen, 
Mm. And we are talking about these, uh, the terrible impact of these, the systemic impact of these racial covenants over time. And I mentioned these covenants that I just referenced. And I said, yeah, you know, there's these, these protective covenants and then we also have a workforce, what we've called a workforce agreement for 30 years, um, which is a community benefits agreement. We generally give land away for a dollar, the companies come in, we have them on the hook for 10 years for job density, living wages, and local hiring goals. Pretty blunt instrument. Mm -hmm. um, Daniel, as I was explaining this, he's like, wow, so you guys use covenants for a positive outcome, not this terribly tragic systemic racist uh, outcome. Um, he said, I'd, I'd like to think of those as benevolent covenants. Um, hmm. And we're reframing this 30-year-old tool right now for deployment at Hillcrest to focus on workplace diversity, wealth creation, uh, local spend, are those mm -hmm. companies spending in the community, uh, still keeping local hiring goals, living wage goals, and job density goals. Um, and we are reframing that and calling it, for the first time, a community benefits agreement. Hmm. Um, so whatever we call it, uh, because we're offering these companies a real subsidy, literally the last deal I did was $2 million of free land for 300 jobs on a 12-acre site. Wow. Um, everyone who's from people maybe fresh out of prison who are counting screws and putting them in a plastic baggie through to their executives are on that site on the east side of St. Paul now. Um, so I don't know what we call them, but when we're, when we're spending, when we as the Port Authority are spending public money, we have to ensure that the public goods are showing up. And there's b examples of good, bad, and otherwise all over the country. Um, but we have to have some kind of tool or instrument. And I love that question, Natalie, and I think it's a good one, and I love your example on the pivot of to what it can mean. It just seems to me that if we're engaging community, there has to be a certain level of trust, and you talked about building that trust and getting the co-collaboration and setting up the premise of ownership or even opportunity for ownership. But we have to hold people accountable somehow. Those commitments need to be documented, and it becomes a way to measure our product progress the challenge, of course, is that no agreement is ever going to fully reflect what we hope for or where the opportunities are, but certainly having that forward-moving progress and, and expectation or an agreement can help. And I really love to hear what you're saying, Monty, about um, refreshing a 30-year-old agreement. And it seems that it has expanded significantly. So when I think about things that we can do, it is also redefining how we engage in community and redefining the programs that we might have put in place a long time ago um, and what is needed for this point in time. Um, one aspect of community that I think is important too is who is at our side of the table. So what is the makeup of our organizations all the way from the board to the C-suite to managerial as well as our teams who go out in community and I think that helps us, whether it's an architectural firm, a, a civil engineering company, to really um, be present in the needs of a diverse population. So um, thinking that that's an opportunity as well. We have just a few short minutes, and I want you guys to think of um, what excites you as the possibilities for this conversation. You're both doing amazing work, have depth and breadth of the opportunities or the challenges and um, experiences and I know that you have some thoughts on the opportunities and can you tell us how we can move forward 
um, in some very specific ways. You've given some examples, but if you had to pick one or two ways that you would really focus on to help us move forward towards um, inclusive places where all can thrive, what would that look like? Forward Through Ferguson is the legacy organization of the Ferguson Commission that was commissioned um, by the governor after um, the murder of Mike Brown. And one of the frameworks that they use to help people think about their role in the work is kind of levels of the work, right? So are you going to make change at the people level, the program level, um, the systems level, or the policy level? And one of the things I'm excited about um, is there are more and more folks that are talking about the system. So we're talking about, even if the, the instruments are blunt, what are the instruments? How do we hold people accountable? What are the requirements? Whether we're kind of a funder um, as a port authority or a gatekeeper, what is our ability to maybe force people to do things that they didn't want to do until they do it and then realize they're actually really happy about it? And so that's what we can build gorgeous individual buildings all day. But until the system changes, our outcomes aren't going to change. And so I would really encourage folks not only to do education um, themselves about being able to make decisions through an equity, equity lens wherever you are, but to really think about what systems you're involved in um, and to find ways to tweak those systems for good. Um, I have a little bit of a scheme going to subvert your industries. Um, and uh, it's called, uh, you may be familiar with the International Living Future Institute, uh, Living Building Challenge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have a social justice transparency scorecard called JUST. Uh, now it's up to JUST 2.0. Um, we've required that our largest consultants on the golf course site uh, pilot that with us. Um, and it's about uh, employee diversity, gender diversity, uh, wage equity, uh, community investments. I mean, there's about 24 things or something. Um, you guys are familiar with scorecards at this point. Um, but we uh, said to these very large engineering consulting firms, uh, you will pilot this with us. You've never been asked to do this before. It is written into their contracts as a term and a cause for uh, cancellation if they don't. And these folks all were wanting this work. This is two, two and a half years ago when we were just getting started. And they're like, wow, we, we got to run this through HR. And they come back to the next meeting the next week, like, uh, we got to run this through the C-suite. <laughs> uh, like, uh, pretty apprehensive. Uh, we are now getting that data. We are now getting smaller firms that are on that same team that weren't required to do this coming up to us sidebar. Hey, we signed up for that just thing. Mm. And I could envision a day where the Port Authority, Hennepin County, Ramsey County, City of St. Paul, Metropolitan Council, City of Minneapolis, State of Minnesota, have some, uh, actually Center for Economic Inclusion just kicked off its index, uh, a localized version of, of just, as I understand it, uh, that's just, that cohort is just getting going, we are in it. Um, but some sort of index to disclose when we spend these public dollars, are we furthering our social justice goals? Uh, because the things we've done to date haven't worked. We haven't moved the needle in Minnesota, so we have to do something different. At the Connect and Convene yesterday, I asked probably some of the people in the same room, would it be a game changer if the RFP, if the spec said, you're going to do X, Y, and Z? Is that going to change your HR practice? Is that going to make you do something innovative and different, like maybe partner with a historically black college in the South? Because what we hear is, well, there's 
now no diverse candidates available. Well, maybe you're not trying that hard because uh, you hadn't seen a couple of heads get chopped off and some contracts get lost. Um, so that's my slightly subversive idea. The other one is the Port Authority is uh, moving forward with a no net loss of industrial land policy. Uh, we have in St. Paul a no net loss of parkland, and if it's good enough for trees and parkland, it should be good enough for the economic ecosystem services that help our neighborhoods thrive. Love that innovation and really appreciate the focus on systems as well as standards or um, policies that affect how we bid and win um, our work. So that is really good. We are really out of time, but I'm sorry. I just want one last question, <laughs> which is, um, you know, we talked about why we're here, but why is this important? And, you know, what are the necessary changes that need to be made for our cities to best support equity, health, and sustainability. Um, why is this important? Quickly. So the question is, why is this important? Yes. The cynic in me says, because if we don't do it, your region will also burn on CNN, and none of your bosses will like it. That's what got St. Louis to make some movement on it. It's important because we are leaving humans on the table, we're leaving value on the table, we're leaving talent on the table. We are outsourcing, finding some, the answers to some of our biggest problems as a country to other countries. And while that is fine, it is a national security risk. And we need to do this not just because it's the right thing to do, but because economically, it's the best thing to do. Thank you. Tony? Along those lines, uh, some of you may know my uh, partner in crime at the Port Authority, Pete Klein, uh, who invented and runs our property assessed clean energy financing program. Uh, $300 million of PACE projects financed around the state of Minnesota. Um, and when he first got into this work, uh, this energy efficiency stuff, uh, he was kind of a climate skeptic. Mm. And years ago, uh, don't tell him I told you this, would say things like, well, that's those scientists, you know, that's their, they're just buttering their careers and, you know, they got stuff to study now. Um, but several years later, he said, I just, I've looked at this enough to understand if we don't fix this, it will crater our economy mm -hmm. um, on a systems basis. Um, so the climate crisis is real, it is now, it impacts our communities differently. I encourage you all to look at the American Public Health Association uh, I've borrowed some very wonderful infographics off their site for presentations, talking about asthma, uh, insect-borne disease. Uh, I mean, when we're talking about communities at risk that have been historically underinvested and uh, have been exposed to far more environmental risk than other communities, like the one I grew up in as a white man of privilege in the suburbs, um, this is impacting people in real time and it's killing people now. And it's not just the polar bears, mm -hmm. uh, it's our kids. And I, I will try not to get choked up here because when I think about my girls, um, that's why this is important for me. Thank you, Lonnie. I want to thank all of you. I just want to say that um, these brilliant people outlining the possibilities for us are reflective of the talent in this room, and it takes courage to make a difference. The talent that we're talking about that is disenfranchised or maybe underutilized is talent that can make a difference in this process, not just in community engagement, but again, on the front line as uh, architects, engineers, board members, CEOs, 
And I, last thing I want to leave you with is different is not deficient. And so we've got to find a way to get all of us into the game for this very complex time where we're trying to address things where the answers have not yet been found but are criti critically important. So let's do this together and um, come back in a year and celebrate some changes in how we do the work that we do. And thank you.